0: The Energy Transition podcast takes you directly to the cutting edge of the global energy sector's shift, with a specific focus on the critical role played by oil and gas, as well as the pathways developing around a lower carbon future. Your hosts, Leslie Beyer, Energy Workforce and Technology Council CEO, and Dan Pickering, founder of Pickering Energy Partners, are joined by Josh Lowry, president of Upright Digital. Each episode engages industry thought leaders in an exploration of market-moving trends and topics, including new technologies, ESG, capital markets, inclusion and diversity, workforce innovation, regulatory influences, and the voice of the people. Join us as the Energy Transition podcast looks at the state of the traditional energy and oil field service sectors emerging technologies and the path ahead in a world of lower carbon energy development.
1: Welcome to the Energy in Transition podcast. My name is Josh Lowry. I am joined with the my co-host extraordinaire, Mr. Dan Pickering of Pickering Energy Partners. We are coming to you live from the Fletcher Azul podcast studio in Houston, Texas. And uh, Dan, I always tell you, that's the hardest part of the entire show is remembering all the things I have to say.
2: Without a hitch.
1: And And look at the camera. And by the way, that's a good lead in. We're on YouTube. So if you're listening to this uh, on any of your podcast platforms, go ahead and check us out on uh, our YouTube channel. So, but anyway, all the pleasantries are done. How are you doing, sir?
2: I am great. You know, Josh, this is, it's coming on to summertime. The weather's warming up. We've got $110 crude oil as we speak and and a pretty choppy market. So Mm -hmm. there's opportunities everywhere. And that makes it fun in our business so
1: so you say opportunities are everywhere which I agree with but it do you I imagine you're in a world where you get a lot of panic calls at the same time you're like does everybody see it as opportunity or do people see it as panic sometimes too
2: great question so the people that see it as panic are the folks who are relatively new to the industry and we had a a point at one uh, last week Monday Tuesday when energy was down 10% in that big market correction Um, Do you panic on that or is that the opportunity to own a little bit more? Mm. And you know, I just continue to sleep pretty well at night right now with a, with an energy component at four something percent of the S&P 500. And we've got President Biden here in the US on the TV for 45 minutes, which CNBC covers in its entirety, talking about an SPR release and energy security and all these issues. and how is something that's becoming more important and is on more radar screens and everybody's driving and seeing high gasoline prices, um, how can that be such a small component of the overall market? Mm-hmm. So I don't know if the market comes down while energy comes up or energy just keeps coming up, but it's it's got to recapture some of the market share that it's lost. And so that I see it as an opportunity and the people that are panicking create that opportunity yeah so uh, you know for every buyer you gotta have a seller so I'll let people panic and bring it on
1: well I'll tell you what you didn't panic on once again is your preparation for these podcasts you are you know me well enough now to know that every note you send me <laughs> is fantastic this is this is like the greatest Cliff's notes I've ever seen in my life And we've got a great guest today a great set of questions I'm gonna try to do I listened to the last podcast. I didn't do enough. I'm going to help you out. More. Ah, he's I've, coming in. I'm coming in. Get high. ready,
2: David. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. David. Yeah. There we go. Let's go. We've, we, we've acknowledged you someone else in the room. Yes. Thank you. The, <laughs>
2: yeah. There, there is someone <laughs> it, else I'm going, David. <laughs> yeah. There is someone else in the room and I have to tell a funny story about David. So David Phillips is the, the head of the UK and, and investor relations at Acker carbon capture, which is a Oslo listed public company symbol ACC space N-O, and it's about a 20 Norwegian kroner stock, and really in a fascinating area. Um, The story I have to tell is that at least twice in my career, I've tried to recruit David to come work with me. He's turned me down every time. I don't know if that makes me just uninteresting or him really smart, but um, David's a a fabulous guy. He's going to tell us about his background, but um, we're going to hear a lot, I think, about carbon capture. We're going to hear a lot about Europe and what's happening there. And so David, thanks for being with us. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. Our, our conversations are always interesting and, and this is happening at an interesting time. So, so welcome. Mm, and, and Josh you. has warned you, he's coming at you with questions.
1: Well, and espresso. Absolutely. I'm loaded up on espresso and questions here. Well, so we as, as someone
3: who's uh, six hours in the wrong way in the time zone, I also am loaded on espresso. So When uh, did you uh, get in? To the uh, yesterday afternoon. Oh, yeah. yeah so yeah. we
1: really have a...
2: We've got a chance to really catch him with his <laughs> guard down. <laughs> jet lag.
3: Well, so I think, um, you've got a couple of hours, I think. I, I'm, I'm in the zone now. Yeah, you're, If, if this was still. like 3 three p.m., 4 p.m., then I'd be sort of drifting off, okay. off uh, all, all over the place. There we go.
2: Well, um, so David, tell us a little bit about you. Um, the way I, I like to think about it is give us your background. Sure. You, you don't have an accent from Texas, so <laughs> where'd, where'd you grow up? How'd you get in this business? What have you done before showing up at Acker? And then what do you do at Acker? Sure,
3: great. Um, well, I think, uh, well, firstly, thanks for the invite. It's great to see you guys. And, and also, clearly, my British politeness is still there because even though I have turned Dan down twice, he still invites me back. <laughs> 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 but, uh, but no, uh, so I, uh, this, is, this is our second trip over the pond in the last, uh, or since, since the pandemic really. So I must admit, it's actually fantastic to be here in person, to meet people in person and to get the world back to normal again. That's, yeah. that's really, really cool. Um, yeah, so me, uh, how did I get, get into, this, uh, into this job? I mean, I, I joined uh, August last year Okay. Um, I, I did used to work for Arca Solutions, which was the company Arca Carbon Capture was spun out of in 2020. I worked for them between t- 2014 and 2016 doing IR stuff. But most of my life has been- a, And an IR is investor relations. Yes. So you're talking yes, to investors absolutely. all the time. Absolutely. Yep. 100%. Especially in the US, because mm-hmm. uh, we I remember in that period in 2014 to 16, there was a lot of talk and action around subsea consolidation. So we we did, we had, we did a lot of plane miles in that time talking to investors around the whole- offshore and subsea world. Okay. Um, but I had a great time there, but uh, most of my life has been in the financial world. So I was an energy specialist at various places uh, in London. I had a couple of years uh, in New York as well uh, in, the last, in 2016 to 2018, um, but also was head of research for a major bank in London for the last few years, uh, which was great fun. Uh, but the chance to come back to the energy space was, uh, was, was too much of a pull. Um, also, a long time ago, I did a chemistry PhD, which, to be honest, was useless for about 22 years until now. So Until you're now.
2: so you're telling me we need to be calling you doctor, uh, please.
3: <laughs> yeah. Nice. The doctor is in
2: the house. I, I you learn something every yeah? time. And I didn't. I didn't realize. To be honest,
3: the advice I always had was that you be very careful where you use the word doctor. Like if you're talking to your bank, you're trying to get a mortgage, trying to get a loan or something, always use doctor. If you're on a flight, don't because they'll wake you up and say some guy's sick at the back of the plane. Yes. Can you please come and help? The chemist. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. well, I, yes. I can make. I can make him an aspirin if you give me a few yeah. hours in the toilet. But otherwise, I, uh, <laughs> I really couldn't. Real quick, uh, you
1: said you came back
3: into the energy space. With it, what time frame was that? Um, so I w- oh, really only just w- when I came back in last year, when so I joined A Carbon okay. Capture. On the operating side, Yes, from right. the financial side. Yes, Yeah. Correct. yeah. Okay. So it was finance from like when I started in 1998, finance up until uh, 2014, then Arca Solutions, then back to finance again, a bit of time in New York and stuff from the six, uh, 18 to 21, and then back to Aqua Carbon Capture, which is sort of the same company, but just having separated in the meantime. Mm-hmm.
2: And you said, you said, David, for the first time in a long time, your chemistry doctorate is gonna come into play. So help us understand why you say that. So what what does a chemistry PhD help you with at Ocker Carbon
3: Capture, which is obviously another way of asking you tell us about what the company yeah, what does. It does. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And well-disguised, well too. Um, so the, the, the science side, very simply, it allows me to understand what we do, because okay. we're all about uh, chemistry-based pr- process engineering that captures CO2 from an exhaust gas, from a flue gas from a, from a plant. And that plant could be all sorts of things. Could be a, a gas-to-power gas to plant, could be waste-to-energy, could be cement, steel, etc. But the, it's a chemical loop, it's a reversible chemical reaction and it uses something called amines. Now, uh, amines are a well-understood chemical. Um, it's been used... But not by me. No. Not. <laughs> by, 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 yeah. by, by, by <laughs> let's say, by at least one-third of people in this room. Okay. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. It's a well-understood chemical. Um, yeah. I'll explain it again in a bit more in, in a second. But that's the, the technology we have. M- the majority of our patent, patents that we have around our system are around the, actual techno- the, the, the chemistry and how we use it, so how it works in the actual process plants. And, and that, that, that sort of patent shield is really at the, the heart of our technology. Now we look at other stuff as well, but that's really the, the heart okay. of it all. And I guess, why does it help having the chemical background? Just to know what goes on, and just to know why certain things are important and also why they're not. So for instance, uh, we, you know, would you spend all your life trying to re-engineer the actual chemistry? No, because the engineering part is massively important. And the, you know, we, we, we moved from the lab to real life 15, 20 years ago, 2008, 2009, I run that sort of of time frame. For carbon capture. Yes, for carbon capture, yes. So we we went, having been developing stuff in the lab uh, with various partners in Norway, very, very, uh, you know, we're lucky having that background, because that gave us a very good basis to sort of really advance the technology with some help from industry academia and the government. Um, but moving that, going from a lab, going from like the white coat to the blue coat, going from the lab to the to the process plant is a massive challenge. And you, you suddenly found all these physical issues like flow rates and cool spots and hot spots and mixing and all that, so it, it becomes different. It's a different challenge. And that's then going from the lab to a pilot plant that has roughly a 1,000 tonnes of CO2 capture per year. That's a small, that's a proper little test unit. Going from the lab to that is more difficult than going from the pilot plant to a proper full-scale test unit. And we built one in 2012, again, 10 years ago. It just had its 10th anniversary um, in Mongstad in Norway, and that's next to a refinery. So we built this plant in 2012, 80,000 tonnes per year, which at that point was huge. Now it's more like Medium size, mm-hmm. uh, but that's that that that's been used by the whole industry. It's a well developed, very advanced facility. Um, but going from the test rig to that was less of a challenge in some respects than going from the lab to the test rig. So that that whole maturation, if you like, of uh, science to to engineering and to actually really doing it is uh, is super important.
1: Was there anything like that in the states in two thousand twelve?
3: Well, th- there's some. It's a good question. So that there's that if you look back at the history of this this business, I mean, people have used. Um, and back to Dan's chemical or chemistry question. Um, people have used amines as a route to capture CO2 uh, uh, from uh, out of well streams, to, with, with the main aim to putting the CO2 back in the well to get more oil and gas out. So, so I know so how EOR. I would spell amines. How would you spell amines? A-M-I-N-E-S. Okay. Or without the S if there's only one of them. <laughs> but mm-hmm. we, but yeah, we, we have a good number. We, we, we actually have a mixture of our, uh, but the, re- the reason you use that, it's a very simple chemical reaction. You have something that's, that's basic so the opposite of acidic you mix that with the co2 it reacts it's, so it's not it's not like it sticks to it it actually reacts to it and creates something else but it's a reversible reaction and you pick up the stuff that's reacted you basically it's a big loop you pick up the stuff that's reacted you heat it not hugely hot you know let's say low triple digit uh centigrade 150 degrees that's sort the of level maybe a bit less you heat it it reverses the co2 pops off and the solvent's regenerated then you collect the co2 put it in your tank and then put it into your network. So it's, it's quite a, it's a well understood process. The issue is though, that firstly, the amine can escape. So when you mix it, the flue gas or the exhaust gas from the plants obviously going up at a rate of knots to, uh, to escape the plant. When you mix that with the amine, you want to make sure it doesn't shoot some of your solvent out of the uh, chimney. So you want to reduce that. Mm. And that's both a chemical and an engineering mm-hmm. challenge. Yeah. And, and then you want to reduce the amount of side products because it's a reaction and side, and reactions always have side products. and. It, 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 the the exhaust gas, if it's not CO2 and nitrogen, if it's other stuff in there, you can have side products which are often undesirable uh, and can even be dangerous. Bad stuff. Yeah, yeah. Bad, exactly. And we we have a nice little chart on our slide deck that goes from, the solvent goes from like almost clear. So as we all say, it goes from like um, Pinot Grigio color to... Coffee, conference coffee color, mm. and I remember from my time in a in a lab, if things go brown when they when they're in the solution, that's not good. That's bad. <laughs> so, um, and when when you have a solu- when you have a solvent, when you have a system that's really robust, and ours is, it goes from Pinot Grigio to Pinot grisot. It doesn't change okay. um, even so, over thousands of hours of use.
2: Yeah, David. If we so let's take a step back. Um, carbon capture has become a big deal because we're trying to keep CO2 out of the atmosphere and stop global warming. And so what you're saying is you guys have been doing it for 20 years and you've gone from the lab to a small facility to the ability to scale up these plants at fairly, fairly decent size. And so to what you're doing is you're taking a, something that would be vented otherwise, grabbing the CO2, which we know is the bad stuff. So we're getting the bad stuff. You're using a chemical process to grab it it drops out the CO2 and then we can go do something with that. Yes. And so your business, so do you, is all you do is build the plants or do you, do you transport it somewhere else or inject it or how, how does it, how does it wind up Mm -hmm. getting stored?
3: Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great question. So we, we are a technology and engineering company that design and deliver and produce the facilities that capture it. So we, we, we start when it comes out of your facility, whatever it is, cement plants, steel plant, et cetera, We We take your exhaust gas, we our, our piece of the, of, the, of the pie, capture the CO2 and puts it into a storage tank under, as a liquid yeah, we're, okay. we're under a certain- On coat. site? On site, yeah, on site. Then typically, and this is a very idealised case. So I'll explain around the case a little bit. But typically, then the CO two then it's then it's your responsibility as the site owner. What are you what are you doing with that? Are you trying to use it for something? Are you uh, are you going to try and turn it into a chemical? Are you going to put it into storage? In which case, you have to have a link up with transport, all that sort of stuff. Now that's so. So really, what we do is is that just that section. We capture the CO two, we store it in a tank as part of the the the, the model, the, the actual design, and then it goes into the rest of the system. And that's your responsibility. Now, having said that, this is a An immature industry, and we have a lot of discussion.
2: Immature meaning what? Immature. I
3: I should say immature value chain. Should we say? Okay. Immature in terms of, can you point to a good history of products being developed in this space that work well? No. Okay. So (laughs) we're early in in terms of this whole hundred percent. Inject it somewhere. Yes, exactly. So, so the I mean, there are some examples, and again, we're lucky to have the Norwegian heritage because. The, you just, uh, I'll come back to the, to the broader value chain question in a second. But the issue of stuffing it into an old oil and gas reservoir safely, mm-hmm. I mean, Stato, and I use the old name deliberately, has been doing that since the late 1990s into the Sleipner field just off Norway, offshore. They put near on 20 million tons into that since then Mm -hmm. very safe it's been studied they've seen how the co2's moved in the reservoir very very well understood system Done something similar at snowvit which is snow white up up north which is the big gas uh, gas project so they so they they they, there are some examples of how to store it Offshore in a in a in mm-hmm. a oil gas reservoir, and it's, it's understood quite well. The value chain point, though, is a really important one because no one really knows how it's going to work together uh, in a simple. Because economic we're so early at yes. this point. Yes. So we have a lot of partnerships across this space. We have link ups with uh, various pl- players in the in the shipping space, in the you know, marine shipping, so picking up CO two from point A, going around the coast, taking it to a terminal that links up to the storage and puts it into the North Sea somewhere. Um, we have link ups in that space. We have link ups with pl- other players in the transport space at the moment everyone's learning everyone's trying to work out what is the optimal route mm-hmm. do you reuse an oil and gas pipeline uh, if, if you're lucky enough to have pipeline access do you build a new one maybe more efficient do you have to uh, can you store it on the site what other options are available you know, Et etc so, so i think the whole value chain is still a little bit immature yeah um, yeah and we for
2: listeners of this podcast uh our our previous guest robin fielder at Talos is in charge of carbon mm-hmm. capture, but she's down on the other other end of the spectrum. You guys are capturing it next to the yes. emissions, and she's focused on where to inject it mm-hmm. uh, out in those reservoirs. So I got a question. You say it's immature. Um, do the do the clients, potential
1: clients, know that that's available yet? Uh, when you, um, steel mill, for instance, that kind of intrigues me. There's a lot of steel mills out there. Yep. Um, are those people aware that this is available to them, especially in Europe?
3: Yeah, I, I would think, yes, they are. And um, the understanding of what is available is the other question. Mm-hmm. Um, so back to the point about immaturity, there are not very many companies, if any, who can point towards experience, and I mean an emitter, like a cement plant or someone, who can point towards experience and saying, yes, we worked with carbon capture before, we know what it's about, and we can, we can you know, we can draw, draw a circle around the economics and everything else, that's, that's, a, that's a real rarity. So when you, so most, the great majority of customers, both existing and, and potential, uh, have a very strong interest to, to do it, to look into how they can do it, um, driven by a number of things. You know, there's, there's the, the, Obviously, they may or may not have their own net zero strategy already set up. Probably, if they're a public company, if they're a larger player, almost certainly they do. Mm-hmm. Um, they have government support, so they have uh, both, and the Europe, Europe's got both carrot and sticks. So it's got carrot in terms of there's money you can get, to uh, to help with your capex. So mm. you can get you can dip into a billion euro or billion pound CCUS fund somewhere. Um, there's also support you can get to look at the operational phase. Um, so there is there is carrot stick. There's stick in terms of the carbon price. So there's a CO2 price which has been widely discussed in Europe. The ETS, also one in, e- in the UK What's as well. What does ETS stand uh, the, for? The, the, the um, uh, European uh, sorry the emissions trading scheme. Uh huh. Um, so and you can look it up on most terminals uh, quite easily. There's uh-huh. an EUA is normally the best way to look for it. Uh, there's, th- there's three letters EUA version in the UK as well, which is slightly higher. Um, that's one. And there's also you have the famous EU taxonomy, which is a, a very large heavy book of regulations around how investors in the financial world uh, should and I think the corporate world should see itself in terms of categorizing emission footprints and the the broader sustainability discussion full stop. So in other words, if you don't if you have a plant then don't capture CO2, you say, okay, I don't really care. I think I'm just gonna keep emitting million tons a year. So what could go wrong? Firstly, you have to pay you know, current the current uh, European price is roughly mid-80s. Uh, mid-80s Euros per ton. Okay. It has been almost at 100 last year, late last year, euros per tonne. It's also been down to below 60 in a, in the in spike of volatility early this year around Ukraine and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you say, OK, maybe I think it's not going to change. So I'm going to have to pay, let's say, call it 90, 90 euros a tonne forever until my plant stops working in 30 years time or something. And um, so that's that's a fair check to write every year anyway. Then the price might go up. I mean, if you look at look at the views in the markets right now, most market watchers see a price of let's say high double digit up to 150 euros a ton by 2030. And let's face it, I don't think anyone really knows. <laughs> but but uh-huh. clearly the, the sense is looking at the mechanism that Europe uses for its carbon pricing, which is deliberately squeezes the availability of the allowances every year, um, that's long term, uh, clearly pushes the price up if you don't change your emission footprint. Um, so that's another thing. You could end up paying more. Then it, the taxonomy side, if you then get yellow flagged for having a CO2 footprint, having not done anything about it, you then could have issues facing, let's say, the green bond market. Or you could have issues with ESG-mandated investors, of which, as you know, there are lots in Europe, may have mm-hmm. issues holding your stock. So that there are lots of other issues that could come into play to push you towards using it as, as well as mm-hmm. pulling you.
1: Carrots and sticks. Yeah. Mm.
3: So So there
2: your your potential customers. They they've they're paying something now. And and I'd like to talk about that a little bit because that is not the case in the US, correct? And so there there's a reason Europe's farther along in this process because there are some economic incentives yes. to to help people change behavior.
3: Okay. So so I, I might also add actually please. and on that, on the incentives I didn't mention the Europe has, has had a, had a particular path to try and develop the whole carbon capture value chain. And that's by supporting industrial clusters and or, you might, or industri- industry hubs. Now, now, there are already some talk around hubs in the US, especially around Houston, for instance, mm-hmm. Louisiana, and so on. Um, but in the in Europe, there, there are a number of, and this is the way that Europe's developed, obviously, over the years, yeah, there are a number of big industrial hubs, typically basing around chemicals refining, then adding other stuff, power generation, cement, waste of energy, and so on. Um, around large uh, river deltas, where there's access to, to water and stuff and access to transport so you have big hubs in the uk you have at least uh four or five large ones and two of those are what's called track one uh in the uk government's funding for for carbon capture and that, that was declared last year and this and those are targeting i'll come back to the details a bit later but those, those, those are targeting storage already in 2025. Okay. Um, and maybe also in 2026. But that, that's, where, that's when those ones really start up. Um, the, the Europe has got another one's around Rotterdam and other, other places. Norway, it's a bit of a different angle. They have this big project called Northern Lights. And that's, a, that's a very much a storage um, hub, but it doesn't have anything immediately near it, at least not yet. It's more around a deliberate move to show that you can make the value chain work by having transport from other sites in Norway that can take their CO2 by ship from wherever they are, and we're doing one of the plants now, a, a, a cement plant in, in south uh, east Norway. Uh, but you, take the, you take your CO2 by ship from that site, around the coast, and give it to Northern Lights. They store it temporarily, and then they push it into the reservoir. Um, but so they have a slightly different hub model. Hmm. Um, maybe the way that actually the industry will develop long-term. But, yeah. the, but the, the, main, the main thing about the, the industrial hubs, it gives governments a big target to aim for. So it means that you can, rather than thinking, oh, we have, you know, 50 emitters, all of which have between half a million and a million tons a year. You said, well, this one site in Rotterdam or Teeside in the UK, for instance, has 10 million tons a year. So you, the maths become, from a, from a policy perspective, the maths become a bit simpler. And you can aim towards that and say, right, you guys then fight out who's going to get it. Mm-hmm. So
2: you wind up with a, a big concentrated area of CO2 generation. Yeah, It's visible and you can attack it. Um, and the government's basically pushing the folks at Teesside, for instance, or Rotterdam to do these projects, mm. so are they they're incentivizing them with with dollars you were saying yes, and there's this carbon cost that they 've got already yes, okay and so when when you guys show up to talk to a customer, um, how are you are they talking to only you, and then it's a separate discussion with the transport folks, or are they pulling you all in the room at the same time? I mean, how does a project sort of get off the ground?
3: No, that's a great question. So, this is another reason why the cluster model is quite a good one because by having a big cluster of, let's say, and I'm making a number up here, but let's say ten to fifteen key big emitters that all join forces, they're all around. Let's say they're within ten miles of this of this major industrial site on the mm-hmm. on the in a, on, a, on the coast. Um, Firstly, they can share infrastructure. So the whole li- the the, the, the I localized they, uh, they can share infrastructure. Share, yeah. So they can share the pipelines that, that will mm-hmm. take the CO two from their facility to to the terminal where it'll be then taken off into the North Sea. So that, and that I mean there are lots of studies around this uh, that, that saves twenty, thirty, forty percent of the infrastructure cost just versus by somebody sharing it. way
2: off. Oh, just on just, their just, own.
3: just in terms of doing it individually. Yeah. So having a shared infrastructure. I love of, that idea. Yeah. So, so that, that's a simple one, so it gives you some, gives you some, shared, some shared cost, mm-hmm. uh, or shared cost saving rather. Um, but yeah, after that, I mean, when we, when we look at what drives the decision, and bearing in mind, you know, net zero targets, government funding, and everything else, um, when we go and talk to customers, you tend to find the first question is, can you actually do this? I mean, can you, can, are you credible? Can you actually build this plant? You say a big big plant takes three years, a modular one takes a year and a half. Well, we want a big one, 2 million tons a year. Can you actually deliver that in three years? Or is it gonna be, well, it's five years because we haven't done one before. Yeah. So first thing is credibility. Um, second, we wanna capture 95% of the CO2. Um, so can you actually, this is the customer talking to us, can you, can you show us good data to show that, again, you can actually achieve this level? And, or is it, well, we aim for 95, but it's, sometimes it's 70 because, you know, the wind's blowing from the south or something. You have to have a proper, you have to have very, very good uh, uh, validity of your technology. So we spend a lot of time working with different specific emitters to, to, to try and work, to show that our stuff works well. But So it's the next one, you know, the credibility. Can you actually capture 95%? Then it's environment. And uh, on an obvious point, you know, we're, we're doing- Real quick, yeah. when you say yeah, works yeah, sure. well, is the number 95%? Yes. Okay. So there is a, an issue, the, the way these systems work, and this is a little side comment, if you don't mind, um, the, you, can, you can capture 99.5 if you want. It just costs more energy. So there's normally, a, there's normally a sweet spot where the customer, depending how big the plant is, what it is, what their own ambitions are, they might say, well, look, you know, looking at the energy cost of capturing more rather than less, looking at our emissions footprint, whether it's medium or small or large, we, yeah, we'll aim, for, we'll aim for to capture 90%. And mo- most actually are more like 90 the more common aim is 90%. Um, 95 is more for some of the very big emitters, um, because they specifically want, you know, it seems, I guess, a logical equation. If you have 2 million tons rather than 200,000, if, if you capture 90 rather than 95, that's, that's, that's a reasonable cost. So you can, you know, you'd rather try and aim for the high end. Okay. Um, but yeah, the, the, and the, the third point, the third, the third big question we get asked is, is the environmental impact, because you know, you're doing the right thing. By capturing CO two, as Dan mentioned right at the very start, um, what is it? What's the what's the other side of the coin? Is there are, are we are we building an, a, a legacy of environmental risk for the future, or is this stuff safe? And so we and actually when if you go back to our, our origination and all the R and D we did back in the early two thousands, the big emphasis from the from the government from our partners, and this is two thousand eight two thousand twelve, that sort of time frame, was to really developed something that is a world-beater in terms of the HSE, the Health and Safety Profile. So, minimal emissions, virtually no side products. Long life, so you can reuse it for thousands and thousands of hours. Biodegradable, etc. So th- those are those targets, rather than purely saying what's the cheaper solution. Mm-hmm. So we're very much moved towards, and that's really that. You know, we have obviously a number of solvents in our in our arsenal, but that's really the one that we have as our as our benchmark. Is one that has a very strong environmental profile, and that that gets a lot of scrutiny hmm. when we go for the real work. Then number four is is, is dollars, pounds, and euros. That's when the economics come in.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I hear one through four. That's a great explanation of it. And it really is the third one that is, even when we talked to Robin, you know, referencing her again, when I left that podcast and I listened to this, I'm, I wondered, because look, I'm the novice here. I'm, I'm the one that really is learning more than anybody. Um, it does feel like, are we just delaying this for someone else? Is there another mm-hmm. problem 10 or 20 years from now? And, you know, to like a Jim Hughes's point, that's a... We're solving that one through ten percent now. Is at a thirty or forty percent down the run? I know that's separate Mm. products, Mm -hmm. but uh, so what? You're I just want to be clear. What I'm hearing then is you're saying that there is a viable
3: solution that doesn't cause a problem that our kids kids are going to have to fix, right? Yeah. So this it's a great great topic actually. So the other the question I think that's maybe seeing more work in progress is the storage environmental picture. So our bit. It's a process, process engineering. It's wet chemistry. It's well understood, and we've done a lot of work to show that you know the the obvious, let's say, uh, uh, bad points from using that type of chemistry uh, are are, are ring fenced, are understood, are, or even negated. So, from that point of view, I think we can say yes. Unless there's a unless there's a process design problem or our engineering diagram is wrong or something, you know, it it should be a very well understood system. Now, storage is different. Storage is interesting. And I I had the pleasure of listening to a number of seismologists and geologists talk about this at some events in the UK in the last uh, few months. Hold on. The pleasure of listening to seismologists and well, geologists. I never, so I, never know, I never, know, I never know who else is listening to this. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yes, there are three people in the audience, that's one from each company of speaker. Right. Yeah, and, and, my, and my favorite was the seismologist, definitely, no question. <laughs> Somebody's um, playing that for his, her husband yeah. or wife. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Someone likes you. Yeah, <laughs> um, no, but that's there's a lot of work around um, how the co2 behaves when it's underground uh, underground it is not it's not buried in your back garden this is the uh, two or three kilometers below the seabed or you know a mile mile or two underneath the earth and it, so it's 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 proper geological storage it's not it's not just put in a little reservoir that's in a, in a holding tank like if you have an, an outside uh, toilet or something it, it's it's properly proper deep stuff mm-hmm. now but in that how does co2 move when it's in a reservoir is another question and so back to our Norwegian roots who's done a lot of work on this and I know that many others have, but, but Norway. So Norway's done a lot of work around, they've 20 years plus data looking at how CO2 has behaved in the Sleipner field. So they have a lot of data around seismic and stuff that's really shown how it moves. And they call it a CO2 plume. So you can track the uh-huh. CO2 and see how it moves. And the thing is, CO2 moves a lot, a lot more than oil and gas. So when you're in your reservoir, you think over, this is over one or two decades, but it can move from A to B. It can move 15, 20 miles over a few decades. And so if, you're, if you only understand one little spot of your, of your reservoir, you probably need to understand all of it to make sure that your capping mechanism, whatever rock structure is there to hold the stuff in place. Uh, make sure you understand how far that goes. Uh, and also licenses. You, know, you think you buy, I don't know what size license it would be. You buy your storage license, and that gets all approved and stuff. Is it big enough? Because in 30 years time, your CO2 could be under Dan's block, not, not mine. It could have moved. So mm. the, there's, a, there's that, uh, so it's much, I think, the, That's interesting, really. Yeah, the, 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 the science around tracking how it moves and the understanding is uh, is really interesting. So um, CO2 plume? That's the phrase I heard I wanna from, go- my, from my favorite seismologist. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I just want to Google that later and just, that's mm. an interesting, because I know that when, the Robin episode airs. That uh, those people are going to have that type of question too. So yeah, thank you for I that. I
3: mean, the, the shape in the uh, in the Sleipner field, it was it went it went up quite quickly over a few years, and then it just took it took a took a right turn and went like ten kilometers over there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and, so it's but really
2: the key point here is is if we think about the val the, the the chain here, you're trying to make sure that your facility sort of does no harm, mm-hmm. if you will, and that what we have to watch is once it gets in the ground. It stays there because otherwise yes. you haven't done anything you haven't yeah. spared the co2 impact because it gets out mm. and and has the impact it may be later yeah but it happens so what's, what's interesting
1: this. too dan is when i'm listening to him talk about this in, in the norway and just akers and their position in the north sea and and you if you're an oil and gas guy which i am and i have been my entire career you understand what the, some of these questions they've been asking, where it's been leading to? Because yep. I remember when ESG, the phrase ESG showed up in the states just a couple of years ago. I mean, I'd never heard it maybe three, four years. I don't know exactly when. But to hear your you talk and their mission, this has been a twenty year mission mm-hmm. for them, and it's not. There's not just you know yesterday's science. This is decades old science that's mm-hmm. answering these questions. That's really it's comforting, actually, mm-hmm. and it, it explains
3: a lot, like why they've been pushing on all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely. Now, I mean, and I think the, the, you know, if we go back to our roots, you know, a, the, the Norwegian, they called it a moon landing strategy. That was the sort of the pre-2010 deliberate policy move. Now, it didn't actually accelerate past 2012, 12, 13, 14, because as you well know, the world took its foot off the uh, carbon capture uh, gas f- uh, pedal a little bit, to put it politely. Um, but yeah, it, the, the, the whole point was to throw, uh, the throw is the wrong phrase, invest a lot of uh, policy and, um, and financial support. Well,
1: and you, you were, mentioned that it took it off the gas because oil was 100 and. 40 and 08, yeah. 112 and 12. It's back up to about 112 mm. now. But it doesn't feel like they've taken it off
3: no. this time. not at all. If anything, and I, I'm sure you probably want to discuss how the world's maybe changed this year. Sorry, Dan, they, I have they, no they, idea they, where i questions. But even, excellent, my, my plan worked. <laughs> mm. yeah, right. Give try and, given, you, given you told me in advance, I try and answer one and a half questions each time so you have no idea which one we're on. <laughs> <laughs> but on the, no, I, I, obviously I'm sure you guys want to, want to talk a little bit about how the world's changed this year. But even before that, um, the, the one phrase that, that stuck to our mind is, is this thing is accelerating. This whole theme is accelerating. You know, the policy support is delivering. So a government says, you know, in the UK, for instance, you know we're going to choose our track one clusters to, to, to put funding towards. They're going to aim for 2026. Okay, that's all talk. Then you get to the point and you do it. And you say, okay, we've now decided it's this and that one. We're going to decide which projects next year. Um, but we're aiming towards 2026. And actually, the UK, as many countries have done, actually upped their targets. They had I think, 10 million tons per year of CO2 storage by 2030. That's now between... That was their goal. That was the old one. It's now between 20 and 30 and then heading towards 50 plus by the middle of the next next decade. So there's a lot of the ambition has clearly been moving in in the right direction. And even just in the last few weeks, you know, the last few months, you know, Denmark has stepped up its ambition. Holland and the Netherlands has has put a few potentially a few billion euros towards carbon capture as part of a broader year renewables and energy push as well. And and just recently, you know, Europe's stepped up and come up with some more details around its new policy as well. So there's it feels that the momentum is very much still there. And if anything, from the financial world with my investor relations hat on. I would say the interest we've got now is deeper and more genuine than it was six months ago.
1: So I have to just take a stop on this conversation because this is really an important point of why this podcast even exists. Um, You know, there's a lot of places you can go for energy and transition conversations, um, news places you can go read, but one of the reasons that Dan and I and, and one of our other hosts is Leslie Beyer wanted to do this was we have a very large oil and gas following. Um, and there's people in that world that they're great and we work with them, they're our biggest customer, my biggest customers, I'll speak for myself. And there's people that just don't know what's actually going on in the broader scheme of things. Um, and what, what I didn't want and what we didn't want was for people that didn't understand oil and gas you know, foundation to, to think that a, an ESG or a carbon capture world was either A, gonna put them out of business or mm-hmm. B, something that was just you know kind of out in the ethos people were talking about but wasn't really happening. And when I listened to you talk you know, directly from Europe and, and going to this, you know, this depth of 10 and 20 year history here, this is actually happening and it doesn't um, displace a lot of what it, the world needs for energy use now. Mm. It just it adds to hey we have we are finding solutions to take care of issues that matter, and I, I really am talking to the audience on this one. I, like I want the audience to understand that these things are happening. This world is developing and, and evolving and changing, and it it's, it shouldn't be as scary yep. to the people of of you know that the world that we've serviced in the past. Like this is the exact audience I want to grab here and say you're listening. Here's what's going on. We're moving in this direction. Pay attention because it's actually happening. Yeah, I, I'm no, glad I, you have you know, <laughs> the your, your when you mentioned your finance background, yeah. your uh, the the world of oil and gas, and then how you're able to blend these. Like you really are a trifecta of. The three people that need to matter—I would say three people—the three entities that yeah. need to, to care about this.
3: Yeah, I think. Thank you for saying that. I think it's a great point. I think the um, you know from our, from our side, we're we're privileged to be to have that heritage, and also you know we're doing it now. We're, we're delivering a large plant in Norway on the cement plant, um, capturing four hundred thousand tons. Uh, that's that's ready in twenty twenty four.
2: I'm I'm stopping you, Dave, because let's put, let's try to put things in context. So, you said. The UK had a goal of capturing 10 million tons per mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. by 2030. Correct. And now that's that's a bigger number. Yes, it's 20 or 30 million tons per year. Yeah. Um, so so we've got 10 in our mind. 10 million tons per year is a is an ambitious goal. Hmm. So now let's come back and talk about. So this one project you're working on is. million tons Mm -hmm. per year. So we're, you need 25 of these to hit the goal by 2030. So again, I'm just trying to to put things in perspective from a sizing perspective. So an individual project might be Half a half a million tons per year. Well, yeah, to a million it's quite a range, or? actually. I okay, mean, this yeah, is talk um, about that a yeah, little absolutely. bit. Yeah, absolutely.
3: So the range is is um, from one from one angle uh, daunting. The other the other angle amazingly amazingly ima- 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 a great opportunity because one of the reasons we and this is a uh, short answer about the chemistry side. One of the reasons people use amines is because they cover they can work across a very broad range of of, of emitters because not one plant is the same as another. So different plants, different industries have different levels of CO two. So because of the,
2: the gases they're putting off. Yes, of their exactly. So if you have
3: gas to power, in your exhaust gas you probably have three, four, five percent of CO two. That's a low end. If you have waste to energy, more like eight to ten. If you have eight uh, to ten percent. Yes, CO two. So yes, in the so so twice mm-hmm. the amount. Mm-hmm. If you have a, a cement plant, you can be towards twenty percent, maybe 18, twenty percent. If you're doing blue hydrogen, so that's making hydrogen uh, as part of a refinery, but then capturing the CO two, that could be twenty five or even thirty five percent. So there's quite a range. And now the reason, you know, why would you want to, the technology that we use, and you know, we have a, I would like to think of a, a pretty refined version of that, mm-hmm. is because it can work effectively across all, all those. of those. Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. So it can grab a really thick
3: CO2 stream,
2: yes. it can grab a really thin yeah. CO2 stream. Now if
3: you have a very, and this is a slightly different, different topic, but if you have a very, very high level, let's say 35-40% under some pressure, which some modern hydrogen plants can do, then you, you, can maybe, you might be able to use a physical method rather than chemicals. So you might be able to just simply freeze it out using cryogenics. And that's what the industrial gas companies tend to do. Okay. Um, but that's, that's a slight aside product, a side comment. M- more to the point about the, the, the customers out there. So it means that when, when we talk to companies um, about, you know, I have a waste-to-energy plant or I have a smelting plant or I have a pulp and paper plant, you know, it, the question is not, often not so much what do you do but where are you? So if you're, if you're near, if you're within 50 miles of a industrial cluster that's growing in the UK northeast northwest Rotterdam along that whole industrial uh, river area in, in, in northern Europe if you're in Norway and you can link up to Northern lights by, by some marine transport that's interesting and, and you know you, you big green lights and charge ahead and get some studies done and maybe use our mobile test unit and, uh-huh. go and really follow it up um, if you're in the wrong place though you have, to, you have to sort of decide and work out okay so what the challenge is not putting carbon capture onto your cement plant in the south of Spain, Dan. It's, uh, it's, it's how do you, do you get do it? Yeah, exactly. Well, how you, and the obvious route is, well, okay, so you can get it to the coast. Well, okay, that's not a big challenge. But how much did it cost to ship it from there to Northern Lights? Or from there to uh, the one of the big, big, uh, big projects in the UK? Mm-hmm. Mm, don't really know yet. Well, we me have some ideas, but it's, that's, that's another immature side of it. But that said, there are a number of players who are looking to invest in vessels. To, to, uh, and these are not LNG-sized tankers. These are coastal vessels that will do sort of a bus stop or an Uber ride or a taxi ride around the coast, picking stuff up from A to B and dropping it off at the, uh, at the terminal when, when they've collected enough. Um, this is it's, it's growing. And actually part of Northern Lights, they actually have two vessels on order to deliver in 2024 to, because that, that's, that's their whole model. But there, I mean, we have link-ups with a company called Dan Unity CO2 in, in, uh, in Europe. We have a link-up with Herg LNG, which is a, another... Shipping company in Norway. Um, they are all looking to to invest in this vessel market. So the the transport piece, how they play that marine transport piece, is uh, for Europe especially, is a very important part, and it's it's starting to see some activity now. So it's
2: in Europe. You think it's less likely to be
3: buried pipelines under the
2: ground are much more likely to be i think well for the ones um the way
3: it's developing at the moment given we have these big clusters um Mm -hmm. and given that all the storage is talked about so far is offshore yeah um and that's uh you know old oil and gas fields and something called a saline aquifer which is you know a sandstone big sandstone reservoir Mm -hmm. um uh, offshore um given given that's a target the the terminal coastal terminal base model with some um marine transport pickup seems to be the way to, the way to go i mean i think the the idea also you know don't forget europe has a lot of people in not too big a place so versus north america we don't have the network of pipelines that we can well there obviously are some um, some of them going east maybe use less than they were in the past you never know <laughs> but but certainly the ones that are existing existing right now there is some room to repurpose them but we haven't got the same scalar network that y- you guys have in north america okay. and the idea of building new ones Well, it's not as easy in Europe. Yes. yeah. (laughs) That's the short answer. You're going to have people fighting that. Oh yeah.
2: So let's go back to your cement plant. So we're, we're doing 400,000 tons a year. Yes. And so just walk, walk us through when did that project start? How long does it take to build your facility? Mm -hmm. What's the customer spending to do that? Mm -hmm. And, um, and so. Just kind of take us through the project.
3: Yeah, sure. Uh, so, the, so the project's with um, uh, so it's called Brevik CCS, and that's the customer is Norsem, so Heidelberg Cement in, in Norway. Um, it's an it's an old plant. It's been there for over a hundred years, um, and so this is a brown fuel project. It's, it's not building a brand new shiny uh, stainless steel polished finish mm-hmm. uh, new one. Uh, this is a, a working on an old plant. Um, which makes it challenging. Um, it makes it any brownfield project, you always have less room to maneuver and to let's say to modularize uh, uh-huh. the, the process and if, it, if, if it's a greenfield anyway. But no, so this was decided, um, it was awarded, we, we spun out in 2020, the project was officially awarded late 20 um, uh, and we started work in early 2021. So this aims to finish by uh, and be ready to go by um, you know, mid to late 2024 that time okay. frame. And that links up with Northern Lights. So and Northern Lights storage, the first phase of their storage, is one and a half million tons Per year of CO two into that into their reservoir, um, starting twenty twenty four. So that's that's what that's what it, it's aligned with. The actual project itself, and uh, this is a slightly longer delivery. Um, it's the first one of its kind uh, in terms of this type of brownfield uh, project. Mm-hmm. First one of its kind. Um, it's you know starting twenty twenty one, ending sort of mid to late twenty twenty four. You can do the maths on that one. Roughly, we would say a large plant where there is some level of bespoke work is is roughly three years delivery, something okay. like that. And that's the full engineering and. It, uh, procurement and uh, um, fabrication and on-site installation and stuff. Okay.
2: And so the, and, and what can you tell us about uh, how much the companies, how much the customers spending mm. to get this plant and and how much, so 400,000 tons a year, we know that would cost them yeah. in their, in their CO2 costs. So are they how long does it take for this
3: to pay out for them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, a uh, very good question. I mean, bear in mind that uh, this, this is as it's part of Northern Lights. There's very strong government support in Norway for this whole project, and um, so there is some help from that. Um, okay, but from our our perspective, you know, our contract is um, one point seven billion kroner. Okay, um, how and many
2: dollars is that for us? It's uh, roughly eight. Okay, roughly eight. Eight, uh, eight to one. Yes, so one point four billion divided by eight.
3: Yes, exactly.
2: Okay, my. P-Brain is getting me to
3: call it uh, 100. Oh, 1. 1.7, sorry, 1. 1.7 billion. 1.7 billion. Yeah. Oh, oh, 7 oh uh,
2: not 1.4, 1. 1. Yeah. 1.7 billion. So 200 yeah. plus million dollars. Something like that,
3: yeah. And our, our segment of it is roughly. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> well done. He's, he's still yeah. got it. He's still uh, got it. The sweat beads. <laughs> I, know, I know. It's like, really. oh God, I'm gonna get. I'm yeah. gonna embarrass myself with a number here. I think I, I should have thought of this. I should throw him some more mental mental maths. Yeah, yeah this, uh, live uh, yes. on air. So if we had four of these projects, one starting in twenty four, <laughs> one starting. In you're <laughs> trying to go at point A to point B. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which plan gets built first? Yeah, that's right. Um, but it's um, a great idea, actually. I think I'll do that. Um, but anyway, so this, so our our section is one point seven. Krona, billion mm-hmm. Krona, um, that's roughly half of the value of the entire project. Okay. okay. Now, it's, um, this is probably, when you do the maths on that, I wouldn't ask you to do it, do it yeah, live now. Please, yeah. um, maybe in a f- few minutes time, give me time to think about it and worry. Um, but, when, but when you do the maths on that, that's not going to be a good representation of how these plants will evolve over time, because okay. it's first up, it's brownfield, it's complex, there's very little modularity in it. And one of the key aims of our whole engineering design is to modularize stuff. Okay. As, you, as you well know from, well, everyone knows from the background oil and, oil and gas, if you go from like a plant that's not modular to one that is, you probably save 25, 30% just like that. And particularly in the installation phase, you really de-risk that because you just have to hook things up. You turn up with big lumps of kit, you put mm-hmm. them on site, make sure they're in place and link them up. You don't oh, have to build it on site. Yeah. and That makes a huge difference. Yeah, um, that we, our smaller units, the one we're delivering in the Netherlands for Twents, which is a waste-to-energy plant, um, that's modular. So that's uh, 100,000 tonne per year, much smaller. Uh, effectively, it's the great-great-grandchild of the test plant in Norway. It was built in 2012. So it's 90% smaller in terms of its footprint and also 90% smaller in terms of its cost. Uh, that's modularization, same chemistry. That's just the engineers doing what engineers do. And make what's the time frame on that? That's an 18-month delivery, or just over 18 months. No, with, so. from the 90%... Oh, from uh, from, uh, from twenty twelve to 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 when we appeared in twenty twenty. That's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a big. No, oh, yeah. Dramatic now you could there. you could say that you know if if the market we're seeing right now had appeared in twenty eighteen, could we have delivered it then? Probably. But you know we have to. We're obviously following the demand, um, and, we, and given how slow CCS was or CCUS was uh-huh. since 2012, we had a lot of time to do engineering designs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, a, a lot of work done around this modular modular design. But yeah, and ultimately, 100,000 ton uh, unit, you can you know, we'll be able to deliver that in 18 months. And maybe, and our aim is to really reduce that in the future. Once we, you know, we may have got the, the design sorted. Um, plus or minus, but we haven't got the supply chain sorted yet because we haven't built many of them yet. So mm-hmm. once you go forward, and let's say let's say we have we built, let's say it's our fifteenth. You know how it works. You're know, uh, learning by doing. We're going to be, you know, the cost will be lower, I'm sure, but also the delivery time is going to be down towards I mean, we hope towards twelve months.
2: Mm-hmm. So. so much faster cycle over, yes. over time.
3: Um, we
2: saw the same thing: shale boom wells cost yeah, yeah. fifteen Absolutely. million. They went to seven million as everybody got smarter on on doing them. What's um, so talk to us about, you've got the two projects you just mentioned that add up to a half a, half million. a million tons per annum. Yep. What are your goals for this business? Mm-hmm. And, and what's your backlog look like? Help us understand who's in the customer mix. Sure, that sort of absolutely.
3: Thing. No. Um, so the goal, we have one ambition or one aim, which we, which we published when we separated out in 2020. And that's to secure contracts to cover in total Ten million tons of CO two capture per year per, per annum, year. by twenty twenty five. Now is that January the first or December the fifteenth? Yeah, let's wait and see. But um, by twenty twenty five, we want to have signed contracts or so firm contracts, not 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 feeds or early engagements or studies but firm contracts to cover and as you write right so, rightly said we've done half a million so, so we've done half out of ten uh-huh. now if you look at how our our sort of radar screen spreads out so we have if you look for like so let's say going from left to right left left hand side if you can visualize this is one of our slides which, which is why i can visualize it quite easily but if you can visualize it um half a million tons is if you like firm contracts so those those two, those two contracts then we have four million tons per year in feed in the front-end engineering design phase. And so we have half of half a million tons of firm projects, four million tons of feed, and we rather hope that, th- that those will get the green light and will move to firm contracts next year. Those are both big ones, obviously. Um, then we have uh, a bit over five billion tons in what we call uh, per annum, in what we call studies and tenders. So areas where we are I- I- currently engaging with customers um, to talk about you know, contracting models, options, pricing, all the rest of it. Uh-huh. Um, then we have, and those, you know, can you say, do those, do those all arrive in 2023? Probably not. You've got to think about when the storage starts. Um, but that's a re- good pipeline of stuff to look at. Then we have what we call our sort of more blue sky radar screen of prospects. So where we had interaction with someone somewhere uh, who said, can you build a plant on my, on my facility? And that's north of 20 million tons per year. Um, so that's a pretty – that's a good-sized pot of people who have been addressing. And there's is a, is a good mixture in that. I would say mostly those are between modular size, so 100,000 tons, up to perhaps a million. Okay. That's and
1: I imagine wide. that growth has been substantial. When you say, here's what we're doing, here's what we're talking to, and here's people that have reached out, mm. that I feel like that curve is going up dramatically.
3: Yeah. I, I think, I, and what you want to see, like, like any sort of cascade diagram, whether you're, a, whether you're a biotech company looking at your drugs in development or, or whether you're a you know, carbon capture company looking at your prospects, you, you want to see stuff move from the right to the left. You want to see prospects become tenders, tenders become feeds, or, or, or even jump straight over and become real projects. Now, what we saw actually between end of last year and end of this last quarter, so end of, end of March, was of the, of the prospects, another couple of million Tons per year moved from prospects to tenders, so mm-hmm. that was three and a bit. Now became five and a bit. Um, does that happen every quarter? Probably not. Uh, but it's uh, it shows you that there's a lot of stuff that's that's, that's active. And w- when when it's a tender, and back to I think we mentioned early on, you know we have a, there's a lot of inquiries out there. So you have to be a little bit realistic sometimes and say, you know, do you want to engage and spend some engineering man hours on a project you know won't happen for probably five six years because it's just in the wrong place. And uh, that will never become a tender because it's not going to happen for a few years, mm-hmm. so the tenders are the ones that could happen, so it's a bit more realistic
2: and what what pushes what pushes someone from thinking about this to acting is mm-hmm. it is it, um, is it they're getting dollars from the government is it um, the CEO says, wow, I really got to do something about net zero. I mean, what do you what, what's driving it?
3: Yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, so what actually triggers this, I think it's, it's there's no there's no one answer. I mean, it is in the background. You definitely have a CEO and a board that says we need to accelerate or deliver on mm-hmm. our net zero plan. No question. Um, outside that, the government funding is very important. It's always a, a key part of the machinery to get it moving. But to be honest i think it's the credibility around the whole project it's not when you're when you looking at a let's say you you, you know and dan pickering's a, a gas power plant in the northeast england somewhere it's a big emitter two million tons a year so you're of you're of course of you're, course i of,
2: own a plant that has big emissions yeah <laughs> yeah exactly
3: exactly <laughs> um and um and you're you're really keen to do it but what stops you you, you know you, you have a board behind you everyone is really keen to deliver and get this done so what what are you worried about well first you're worried about if i invest in this right now it's going to take i need to do like a feed for a year three years to build it so it's gonna be ready in like 2025 20, 26 okay storage is 2026 20, okay all right that seems realistic how do i know that's going to happen in 2026 am i going to build a plant and then find the storage is not even ready yet so that's one thing how do you get how what's the credibility around the whole storage platform when can
2: you actually turn it on exactly
3: 100 yeah. so when can you actually turn it on to do, to do to start capturing the co2 um then i think you have questions around I, I, that that question I, that's probably the most single Im- most important one because without the storage, all the other letters in the acronym won't work. Uh-huh. So you ha- and that question is storage is environmental stuff. You know the envi- environmental understanding around the actual reservoir. It's the the the, the transport and storage model for the actual project developer. So the guys who are owning that storage machine, if you like, you know wh- how are they working out? What's their Contract for a different structure, their CFD structure around the economics for storing it. And that, that's going to be a, a regulated industry, of course. Um, but how's that going to work? And so and there's so lots of steps along that. And if you're going to be in charge of effectively you know, pushing, the, pushing the big button on a billion dollar investment or maybe even more, then you need to be quite sure that, it's, that it's, things are going to be aligned when it's, when it's ready. So um, I think there's, it's a bit of a sort of a virtuous circle. There are lots of parts of that whole machine that you want to see credible, supported, right. happening, all the rest of it
2: spending a billion bucks is not a trivial decision exactly yeah Exactly. that makes sense um so your backlogs building customer inquiries are up so russia ukraine potential recession in europe hasn't really slowed any of these
3: dynamics it doesn't um, It certainly changed them i think the net result i don't think it's really hard when you when something's growing already it's hard to say has the rate of change changed mm-hmm. <laughs> um it, I mean, it's still growing and we have right. had more inquiries in the last few months than we had in the previous few so that from that point of view it appears to have not affected the momentum in particular. i think it's changed it in some ways because obviously there's been a lot of chat around how are european governments going to in general and I mean, I'm, I'm not an apology policy specialist by any means but how are they going to change their their structure of financing and support for renewables and the whole tr- transition given the move away from Russian gas, given the accelerating oh, cool. push towards renewables, etc., and, and in that, where does carbon capture feature? Yeah. So, from one angle, is there going to be more hydrogen earlier? Yes. So that's that's clearly one ambition. Um, so, as part of that, and yeah, the, the, the big game, of course, is green hydrogen. But, the, but as part of that, the supporting act is blue, and so the blue hydrogen, which is hydrogen from hydrocarbons with with carbon capture, um, clearly has seen some acceleration. That's that's probably the. The most obvious one with some chicken and egg question around it because that market in big scale is not there yet. But nevertheless, that's one I think that has seen some acceleration. Outside that, um, the, the carbon market, and this is, this is pretty much hot off the, hot, hot of the press news from, from yesterday. The uh, European um, Parliament and the EC, European Commission, they, they've also had some important decisions and, and, and um, uh, policy publications around how they are gonna support renewables. And, and they talked about in actually increasing the ambition even in this energy cost environment, increasing it, not decreasing it. The only piece I think that affects our market directly really was saying they're going to, out of the, the, the allowances that go into the, the, into the uh, European carbon price mechanism, they, got, they potentially will look at issuing a few more into, in the very, very short term to alleviate some of the, init- the, the initial um, pressure right now in the market. Um, I think the, the carbon price was down a few percent on the news. It wasn't a major, okay. major move. Um, but that's what I mean. But the but the, the long term long term ambition and the machinery around the the trading scheme, you know, the CO two market and so on, is still very much there. And if anything is, you know, they've actually tightened. The long end has actually tightened more. Just the short end has become slightly slightly easier.
2: Hmm. Okay, so you now have this backlog that you're going to start building facilities. Do do you then own them and and the customer gas comes through it and you, you
3: charge a toll, or do they
2: own them? Or
3: what, what's the, how
2: do guys pay for this?
3: Mm, no, so um, the main mechanism is we, we design, engineer, build it, hand it over, um, as you would do with any large project delivery and say, okay, here we are. There's obviously customer some level owns of- it. Customer owns it. Okay. There's obviously some level of performance guarantee for a few years. As a contractor, we'd have a long-term operation and maintenance agreement with them. So there's some some income from that and some long-term uh, link up, um, but, uh, but, it, but they own it. Now the exception, Is we have this capture the service model that we introduced last year. Now we haven't got a contract in this space yet around using this model. This is an idea. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's been launched commercially. A lot of discussions. We hope to have something done later this year, maybe maybe early twenty twenty three. What it very simply, it's us turning up with some friends to manage the transport and storage and a financial partner to manage the financial cost of the actual asset uh, for, our, for our piece, for the carbon capture piece, and going to a, particularly going to a smaller emitter who maybe doesn't have enough firepower financially, maybe doesn't have enough engineering skills in-house, all that sort of stuff, and say, look, we can turn up and do this on a 20-year, 25-year contract.
2: Turnkey basis. You, uh, exactly. So, pay so, us so per
3: ton captured. Put, unca- put uncaptured, linked to the carbon price, but it could be linked to it in all sorts of ways. We've we, we deliberately been, we, we the, amb- the ambition is to accelerate the deployment of carbon capture with smaller emitters. And given that, you, would, you don't want to say, oh, we're only going to do a fixed price, or we're only going to do market rate. We, we, we keep that open. I mean, that should be more their perception of, ca- of, of let's say, market risk that, mm-hmm. would, that would dictate that. But we, we could do something linked to the carbon price in the market. So it'll go, go up and down. Or we could have a floor and a ceiling to manage the risk, or we could have long-term fixed. Now, this is you know only discussion so far, but as an indication, I would say most, and not everyone, but the majority of people we've spoken to so far, um, they seem to like the idea of long-term visibility. So, it seems to so the idea of you know low triple-digit um, carbon price fixed fixed for twenty years is maybe not a not, not a bad compromise. Mm-hmm. But 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 it's it's a it's a bit of, again proper first in kind business model yeah. and. It's a bit of an obvious comment, but when you have smaller companies, they aren't only looking for help for our piece, they're looking for help for the entire project. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there are lots of moving I don't see on how it. that's
2: not a winner, really. Doesn't that, I mean, just like um, buying the car that you own for 10 years is cheaper than leasing a car for 10 years. Right. But if you buy the car, you got to come up with all the money up front. Uh, if you lease it, you can turn it back you know there's some there's some advantages to it but it seems like so it seems like the the carbon capture as a service would be slightly more expensive to the customer but a hell of a lot less to hassle because they shift the hassle onto mm. well, and onto the partners doesn't right? the customer only win
1: when everybody wins i mean it's like you're you're paying for a percentage of what they're capturing correct it's kind of like i mean it really is you know i'm i'm paying you to collect this mm. we're both going to win <clears throat> yes and then I'm essentially paying just a, a portion
3: yeah. of totally what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, and, and what, what is interesting though is, <clears throat> as part of this, obviously we have to have a. We've been talking to lots of potential financial partners yep. as part of this the whole value chain. We have been inundated. I mean, you you, you can think of every possible uh, every possible type of institution that could chase this. I mean, you've had your infra funds, private equity, Inf- infrastructure funds, we- yes, like, okay. infrastructure funds, private equity, sovereign wealth, and so on as a, a, a full range. Actually, to be honest, the most flexible money so far has been coming raw from the east. So, you know, Japan, Singapore, there's a lot of uh, long-term money there that's really keen to, Im- to invest in green infrastructure. And actually, the appetite, I mean, you we, we know, in terms of the volume of money available, it's clearly more than we could ever need or dream of. Um, sometimes the challenge is our industry, <clears throat> as you mentioned a few times, is immature. So someone comes having, having put a billion dollars into some huge pipeline in Asia and says, great, so how big your industry right now? Well, we're just starting out. So there's a bit of a scale challenge sometimes, but certainly we found a lot of the big infrastructure funds, especially and some of the the really super long-term money from the Far East is very happy to get in now early and and wait, and actually aren't worried about five-year exits. They're they're, they're in there for 10, 20 years. And and what we've also found is that, you know, we've started a discussion saying, we're looking for a partner to finance the carbon capture piece. You know, a Mm -hmm. certain slice of the overall cost. Quite a few guys have said to us, what about the rest? We'll do it all. So the funding availability seems to be. Unless I haven't mentioned price or cost capital yet, of course, but the availability seems to be pretty. I almost feel
1: like you'd have better success with the people that have shorter exit plans on that that second that model you mm. just mentioned, less cash flow up front. Mm-hmm. Could be.
2: Yeah. David, are we going to see? Are we going to see? I mean, your business right now is exclusively Europe, from what I read in, in the materials and the stuff you have on your website. So is that's your home, that's your, your area of focus right now. Does it make sense to do what you're doing in the U.S. or other, you know, spots?
3: Oh yeah. Great question. <clears throat> 110%. Um, there's an immense opportunity in North America. Okay. Um, I think the the the, the very simple 30,000 foot view is, it's not a matter of if, it's just when. And which year do we get in? Who do we partner with and everything else? And I Mm -hmm. think it's very much for us, the policy momentum the types of customers the types of emitters you know most of our customers in europe are, are global companies whether they're cement or oil and gas or, or, or whatever else and so we have l- good link-ups with global companies on the customer side we have good link-ups with global supply chain players like siemens energy um so we're we are, we're very very keen to investigate north america <clears throat> and we're, as we I think we talked about this a little while ago in a previous um set of earnings um we we're already having some good dialogues with possible mm-hmm. partners and i think it's what's clear to us we have to have boots on the ground in a major way. We have to have a good partner who can really be prepared to, to invest and to get a project to work. Um, and we're currently working out you know, what, what options are on the table. And there are a number you know, you, you, you've mentioned um, so, you know, looking at the EMP part of the value chain. And obviously, they have great storage uh, visibility and, and knowledge. There's also the pipeline guys, uh-huh. uh, midstream players. Um, there's also parts of the supply chain. Um, do we piggyback someone else in that space? Uh, or do we work with a financial partner? Um, and yeah, it's a it's a good little opportunity. Um, I think it's definitely a matter of timing. And I think, from our perspective, I think that what we've seen in Europe, it, it really pays to be early to show it works, um, to be you know with a, with a credible model rather than waiting for the very very best chance. By which time, you know, you're five years late. Yeah. Um, I think being early in the next few years is going to is going to be the way forward. And, and and I guess similar to Europe,
2: the ability to do something with the carbon that you capture is going to be important. So that mm injectivity piece will also mm-hmm. matter yeah. for the time Well no the I case. mean I,
3: I'm not, not you you guys know a lot more than I do about the what, what goes on the subsurface in, in North America but especially in the lower 48 but there's you know the US has got some great advantages you've got a massive pipeline network a lot of which can be reused um, you have onshore storage as mm-hmm. you know if you even think about going near the sea things get double the cost if not more yep. so uh, that's a great advantage to have that it means you can look a lot of storage potentially being what well, behind the fence So, you you, you don't have to worry so much about doing it in your garden or something. Mm -hmm. You don't have to mess up your Saturday barbecue with some guy drilling to store some CO2 in your lower fields. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's a a lot of ambition.
1: Hmm. I like it. Not in my backyard.
3: That's the, the, the fence. Yeah.
2: Literally. What about the competition?
3: Who, yeah, who else well, is doing mm, this? Uh, quite a few people. Um, so we look at it in sort of, there's sort of three groups really. There's, a, there's the group, to, to deli- I mean, we talked a lot about, you know, in your, your questions early on, uh, were what, what do we face when we chase work? Well, it's all about credibility. Can you deliver this, everything else? So there's a lot of engineering skill you need to be able to do. So firstly, the guys who are engineers and the chemists. So you have, the, you have your nice technology solution and you have the big engineering muscle to actually design it and deliver it and everything else. So that's ourselves. It's Mitsubishi Heavy Industries, MHI. It's Fluor, your, your, your engineering friends over here. Um, and also it's uh, Shell, uh, the Shell Cansoft, Shell the oil company. And they uh-huh. work with Tech Deep Energies as their, okay. en, their, their EPC player. So those are the four main guys. And we see them pretty much most of the main jobs we look at in, in, northern, in northern Europe. Um, then you have the industrial gases. Um, so Linda, Elikida products. As you might guess they've been doing this for a long time they know a lot about handling co2 liquid gas they they have a great experience in working with handling gas around steel plants hydrogen plants refineries and so on and um, they already have a presence in this space they've been using amine scrubbers and the scrubber is a simple machine that to take your co2 out of your, your your gas stream your chemical stream uh so yeah th- and they have some big ambitions you know linda and, and bp talked about some pretty big plans over here in the around, around houston oh. to capture i think it's a very a pretty big number which is 10 or 15 million tons of co2 or something per year ultimately by the latest decade, so, some some big ambition around that space so the gases are very but we, we it looks like they are rather more looking at their installed base and expertise so hydrogen refineries chemicals and steel um maybe not not the wider industry spectrum that, that we would look at along with the other guys then you have all the startups and smaller companies and there are a lot in that space um mostly they are, they're not public yet. So there are a couple of exceptions. There's CO2 capsule in Europe. Um, uh, other than that, most of them are, are, are private companies, and they're a mixture. They're, some of them are really exciting, technology-focused startups, that they're working on technology that is genuinely new. It's only th- been dreamt up in the last three or four or five years, low level of what's called technology readiness, that TRL, technology readiness level index. Um, it's a bit on from someone having the eureka bathtub moment, but they haven't really moved from the lab to to real life testing yet. There, then there are some who are looking at early stage testing with new technology, but are still a long way off really commercialising it. Then there are guys who are looking at older technology that didn't work ten, fifteen years ago, and are trying to reinvent it and get it to work uh, in the in the field by using engineering skills to oh. to change the way it works. And that's the one where we see probably most activity is because th- that's you why would you want to use a different different technology it's tim to to lower the cost and potentially there are things off the shelf like potassium carbonate which is a very simple basic chemical literally basic the opposite of acidic if you can use that in some way that's cheap easy well understood and also is is pretty unharmful pretty non-toxic so uh, unless you waste a lot of it (laughs) so for that for that point of view um there are there are ways that if you could use someone like that then that would be interesting but these, these, are all, these are all looked at in 2010, 11, 12, and they didn't work because in the lab, they look promising. When you go to real life, and I mentioned, you know, uh, uh, this early, in, early on in this discussion, we had a, you know, the, the challenge of going from the lab to the test plant was a, was a big challenge. When you do that, you realize that most of this stuff doesn't work fast enough. If it doesn't work fast enough you're never going to be able to use it on a hundred thousand million ton per year plant oh. so that's the aim that these guys are chasing now so can they re-engineer it in some way Speed. using and there's normally there's normally a trade-off normally you need to maybe use more heat so more energy maybe you need to use more pressure again more energy so there are there, there are engineering tweaks to see if you can get some compromise or get get it to work but so far and then they, some of these guys have got some innovation funding from the EU, so there's some there's some real work going on. Um, but yeah, that's, that's that's how we see the landscape panning out.
2: Hmm. And and what milestones have you set for yourself? You talked about the the ten million tons per annum of projects by mm. twenty thirty. What? Uh, by twenty twenty 2025. Yes. Yeah, sorry, I was yeah. I was. Not giving you enough credit so what other things should we be watching to sort of measure the progress of our, well of it's uh,
3: a we have that the 10 in 25 is the is the main aim okay uh, we have yet to, I mean we're not quite two years old yet we haven't come up with too many other uh, public stepping stones yet I mean mm-hmm. obviously internally we have a very key list of target contracts um, that we want to try and secure certain um, customers exactly certain projects, regions yeah. customers et cetera and mm-hmm. but yeah um, the the achieving that work and the thing is it 's in some respects, our market is quite an easy one to analyze because. If it's so long as you ignore CCU, which is where you would use a CO2 in something like uh, um, making chemicals or making fuels or something, um, then it's all about storage. So when does the storage start? Mm-hmm. If it starts in 24, then you're gonna, and it takes 18 months to order a small plant, you're going to order one maybe this year or next yeah. year. If it's a big one that starts in 2026, you're going to order it next year. Yeah. So that, that ti- those timelines are very visible and gives us something to aim for.
2: Mm-hmm. So ironically, some of your milestones aren't actually your own. They're, yeah, they're the industry. Uh, milestones. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
3: Um, what
2: else do you think are hot button topics that we ought to talk about? I'm, I, I, we get to this point and I always start itching for the lightning round. But, <laughs> well, but um, what mean, do you got, Josh? <laughs> well,
1: honestly, I'm, I'm glad you asked. That. That's a great. What else do we need to know? I think mm-hmm. hopefully that's somewhere yeah. you're going. But also, are there any other books, um, publications, podcasts? Where, where can you know, we go, where Mm -hmm. can our audience
3: go to learn more
1: and and just become more educated in this?
3: Yeah. Yeah. That's a a great question. Um, There are are a lot of reports on the energy transition that refer to CCS. I'm sure you'd be a sport for choice for that. Most of the big consultants, quite a few of the big banks have written some good reports, but they tend to cover everything, including CCS. The ones I would say are the the, the Global Carbon Capture and Storage Institute, the GCCSI. They have a great operation. Wait. Say that slower. GCCSI. And like all, all acronyms, Which stands for? The Global Carbon Capture and Storage Institute. Okay. And they um, they, they, they they do some great reports. Um, they uh, quite regularly have like a, a global status of CCS updates. Mm. They did a technology review quite recently. That, that stuff is a good read. It's just the level of detail that doesn't if you're not yeah. an engineer or something, it doesn't like completely send right. you a shock. Yeah. A We're really talking weird. with a yeah, PhD chemist on. here, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great read. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly, exactly. Mean, you guys <laughs> will understand. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah, right. My, my insomnia just just went away. Yes, um, yes. Um, but no, so the, the, the GCCSI, uh, definitely one. Um, that's probably one of the main ones I think about. Actually. That's, that's a, if you think about all the guys we read reports on, there are, they're are specialist institutes, obviously, given the uh-huh. name, and they do have a good focus and a good grasp of what's going on. Okay. And, they, and you can you, you can do a lot worse than looking at some of their okay. stuff. So that's the get
2: smart. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Now, we're ready for the lightning
1: round. And you, Dan, you do a great job on these. You, you, you not only mix them up for each guest, but you, you know, you recognize that we have a, a European with us. Yes. <laughs> um, I yes. should point
3: out though, there was, a, there was a vote in 2016. I'm not quite sure if we can still say European. <laughs> okay. That's right.
2: That's right. Okay. Josh, why don't you kick yeah, it off? So, I so the rules here, <laughs> the rules here, David, are well, <laughs> you, you get up to, up to, to say, point. <laughs> yeah, you get to say yes or no or provide the answer, but you don't get to expound on it. I'm so, banned from this game because yeah, I don't have to do the own. one word answer. It
1: so. stands on its own, so yes. lead if, it off.
3: If, if that's, can I just, before, before you launch off, if, yeah. I, if I can ask the judge, uh, if, I an unusual, uh, if I have an answer that's a bit unusual, am I allowed to like use one phrase to explain it? You have it? no yes. rules, you can do whatever you want. Yes. Really, we yes. just tell you right. that. He's right. really right. talking to me when he says that. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, just stop giving it's multiple word obviously, answers. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, obviously some, some previous here, can yeah, you tell, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, so PTSD. Yeah, we need you to
1: subscribe to the podcast to listen. This is yes. <laughs>
3: Next week we'll cover. Yeah, you want me to
1: start? <laughs> yeah. Okay. You're ready? How do yeah. You ready? Yeah. Feel you feel pretty I'm good. I'm good. I'm ready to go. You loose. Okay. Here we go.
3: Coffee or tea? Coffee.
1: I uh, wasn't. I'm sorry to stop it. I, I was
3: expecting something different. Uh, actually, but. that's a good point. So actually, have, have you written down answers? Because you should write down your answers. And let's see. Who, let's see who's going to score the best. I
1: would have said tea for you, but uh, you've said coffee. <laughs> there's
3: sadly, but you can't go you, back. You called me European, so I mean, if it's Euro- European, there's a good coffee link. If it was, if I if I said. English, well, that's afternoon tea, isn't it? Yes. But uh, European coffee, espresso.
2: Okay. okay. <laughs> oh, man. So, so you both have crushed the, the rules. one <laughs> yeah. with, with the first <laughs> question. Well, so far. You both have, oh, have violated. <laughs> I, I feel so violated right now. <laughs> All right. right. Coffee it's or terrible. tea, you go coffee. Got it. Okay. Cash or crypto? Cash.
3: Oslo or Amsterdam? Oslo. And my short ex- d- disclaimer is, I ne- you never know who's listening.
2: Yes. <laughs> That's right. The bosses, the bosses love that one. Um, Chelsea or Manchester United? I'm actually a rugby guy, so I don't care. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, bangers and mash or salmon?
3: Bangers and mash. Nice. And tell our audience what bangers and mash are. Do I have to? Yes. I know sausage it. and mashed potato, but it's a particular sort of sa- sausage. It's normally with gravy as well. Yeah. So uh, sausage served in a big pile of mashed potato with gravy. On We're the around lunchtime
1: right now. That sounds I pretty know, good, doesn't uh, yeah. it? Yeah. It's,
3: it's very good. Typically, you serve it after, you be, if you've been to like watch a football match, um, and I mean soccer. Sorry, I should explain that. You mean a soccer match or, or <laughs> you used to sit in a pub and have many drinks and have your bangers and mash. Okay. You're up. Oh, will the world make net zero by
2: 2050?
1: Yes. He gives himself that awesome question, Mm -hmm. he gives me this one. Puppies or kittens? I'm sorry. That's easy. Puppies. (laughs) I'm a dog guy, through and through. French Riviera or the Italian Riviera? Italian. S&P 500 for the rest of 2022. Bullish or bearish? Bearish.
2: Okay. Wind or solar?
1: Wind. Facebook or Netflix?
3: Netflix.
2: Okay. Do you expect a consistent global carbon tax before 2030?
3: I you do mix up the serious ones that's with the ones. Right. Yes, one yes we
2: do. <laughs> yes, we do. No. Okay.
1: Um, will there be a consistent global, oh, that's you, over under for first meaningful Gulf Coast CCUS injection by 2025? After 2025. He's taking the after.
3: Okay. Downton Abbey or Benny Hill? That's easy, Downton Abbey. I bear in mind that I always assume that anyone over this side of the pond thinks that that's how we live anyway.
2: <laughs> in, <laughs> <laughs> right, in big castles. Yeah. So have
1: you gotten big into Castle this show, staff.
2: this Downton Abbey? Uh, I watched a few seasons.
1: My wife dragged me into it. I was like, <laughs> what is this? I, I loved it. The grandma's amazing. <laughs> She's a star. <laughs> They're making a movie on this thing. Yeah, Maggie one. Smith. It, it, oh, opens,
2: a... it opens, by the time this podcast drops, it'll already have opened. It opens Friday. Um, I'm doing almost anything to avoid going to see that. <laughs> and and I'm sorry, Josh, but I'm going to do two in a row because I have to ask this last question because yes. I ask it every time. So, David, will the Houston Texans make the
3: Super Bowl in the next decade? Yes. But can I say why? Because the, the my, my disclaimer is that my entire knowledge on American football is based on having watched Adam Sandler in The Waterboy.
1: <laughs> the production room. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're
2: loving it. Um, I. I love that answer. You're the first one that said yes, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Everyone that lives in the state says no, Um, and that concludes the lightning round. And so, David, uh, thank you so much for joining us, uh, telling us more about Ocker Carbon Capture. The website, I think, is OckerCarbonCapture.com?
3: Correct. Yep. And if you look at the IR part of it, there's a good selection of presentations on there. And there will be, in due course, there'll be more. We're going to put. some technology white papers up, you know, obviously for full public consumption. No, so, but uh, work in progress, but great. Yeah. Well,
1: if you thank- let us know about that, we'll reattach that sure. to the podcast as yeah. well, so people can click on Perfect. it. Perfect, yeah. absolutely.
2: Thanks for joining us, David. Thanks, really you enjoyed,
1: enjoyed it. it. Absolutely, so that concludes this episode of Energy and Transition podcast. Uh, Dan, thank you for your time. I'm gonna pump your uh, Twitter account is at Pickering Energy. At Pickering Energy. Yep, for Twitter. Uh, great follow, by the way. Um, PickeringEnergyPartners.com, if you want any more information on that. Uh, Josh Lowry, for Dan and Josh, we appreciate your time. Thank you very much for coming in. And uh, you were great. No jet lag whatsoever. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms. We are on YouTube as well. So if you have any questions or comments, email Sarah at sarah.miller at uprightdigital.com. And we'll go from there. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.